0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where we aim to change the culture one conversation at a time. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern, or catch the Encore at 5 p.m. We are also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Of course, our radio show is always a podcast, Go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Thank you for joining us again this week on Conversations with Consequences. We have a great show lined up for you today. We hope you like it. We are going to learn all about a new movie coming to theaters in November called Libres or in English, Free. It's a Spanish film that just premiered at the Vatican and it's a beautiful exploration of the contemplative life. But first, with Father Dave Pivanka of Franciscan University coming out with a statement about his campus being a safe zone for Jewish students, Father Ben Keeley weighs in on the scary protests we've witnessed now across the globe and at some of our most prestigious colleges in the country in light of the ongoing crisis in Israel after the terrorist attacks by Hamas. Welcome back to the show Father Ben.
1: Thank you very much Gracie as always for having me.
0: No it's it's my great pleasure and we always like to check in with you especially when things are happening in the Middle East because you're our resident Middle East scholar and expert and you have a real feeling for for the suffering peoples of the Middle East. This past week we've seen an attack that's just about as, as heinous and, and atrocious and, and inhuman as anything that any of us can imagine or can even remember in recent history. The details are so terrible that we our minds run away from them. We we can't even dwell on them for a moment. But 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 we know that they happen. These terrible things like people being burned alive and children being tortured to death.
1: Well, I agree with you one hundred percent, Gracie. We've the, the the attack on Israel by Hamas terrorists was just uh, extro- extraordinary. It was so awful. The more images that we've seen and the, the stories, the, especially the the attacks on children and women and the kidnapping of babies. It's so awful. But then you add on top of this, I know we're going to discuss this, but then you add after these terrible attacks, these massive demonstrations and protests all over the world, very large ones in England and other parts of Europe and in the United States, where people, after all this has happened, seem to be glorifying what's happened and uh, celebrating what's happened, claiming this is all about Palestinian rights, whereas they are seemingly glorifying attacks on Jews. It's it's not doesn't seem to be now about certain so possibly legitimate protests about the state of Israel, but it's about anti Jew, anti Semitism and, and it's it's quite horrifying. For a Christian for Christians, I think we both always think of our beloved Pope John Paul, St. John Paul's statement calling the Jewish people our, our elder brothers in the faith. And the church has really moved on a a, a long way since some of the things that we, we know that were not correct. And, and so for us as Christians, I think our support for, for our Jewish brethren is, is really, really important at this time. And I know they, they expect it and they hope for it and they and they want to see it.
0: You mentioned this, the demonstrations that took place um, on the left. And it seems it's a little terrifying, frankly, that there should be such an outpouring of joyous emotion the day after the day of the day after the the, the second day, because nothing, nothing retaliatory had happened yet. But there was on the on Israel side, but there was this outpouring of support, joyous support, like enthusiastic support, when all we knew was that there had been this bloodlust attack on innocent civilians, something that is so far away from what we consider any kind of just war or just a defense maybe of your your position your idea of what you think the state ought to be like or or the, you have you have maybe just grievances but to attack civilians but then you see this outpouring all across the west all across the west forget the east i mean forget uh, the middle east you're you're going we expect we expect happiness in the streets when westerners die right in, in some countries sadly but in the west where these people who are uh, rejoicing live in, in with religious liberty and they live in in the in the ease of the of the West in which people have rights and and they're treated with respect uh, for regardless of who they are what where they worship or what their family lives look like but yet they came out to rejoice and to and to support What does that say about Western society
1: Well it's really. Terrifying. Again, it's it's. I used the word in a little uh, talk I gave just the other day. That this has been a revelation in the true actual biblical sense of the word a revealing and a pulling back of the curtain there may well have been over time and people can argue about it the concept of anti-zionism i know there are certain jewish people that that's kind of my go to now if if, a, if jewish people can argue for a point perhaps we can say that we have a, a a valid point to bring it up so i know there are certain jewish positions against zionism perhaps even the state of israel but what this has done this has now pulled back the curtain and For so many people, this anti-Zionism actually now means anti-Semitism. It's the old-fashioned
0: hate. Maybe it always did, Father Ben, in in certain camps. In certain camps, obviously not in 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 Hasidic Jews, which don't necessarily support the state of Israel, as you
1: mentioned. Right, but yes, I think for many. But now it's revealed. There's no way if you have, for example, in Sydney, Australia, which I think was either the night or the day after these terrible attacks. You have people chanting "gas the Jews." You can't <laughs> hide that anymore. That that's, and this this is what I think has been so shocking for many people. I've seen reports uh, Jewish people who live in in Europe, who live in the United States, are I think that's after the initial shock of the attack. What what has really shocked them now is this realization that that there is this deep anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jew, the Jewish person. And we have a lot of thinking in Europe. We have a lot of thinking to do about this. Marches where they're chanting things like death to the Jews. Mm -hmm. The police are not arresting them, which is technically, certainly in Britain, it's a crime now, but they're not being arrested. And yes, so I agree with you. It's, it's, It's a very, very disturbing time and for to be a Jewish person I know you have a a strong family connection here as well and I think it would be really a a terrible feel. I was thinking to myself last night what would I feel like if I was a Jew we know as Catholics we've experienced a lot of persecution over the years over the centuries and potentially on the horizon there may be something coming for us as well but if, if I was a Jewish man now I would be especially living in in the West I can understand why so many people in the past have said we need to get out and go to Israel and move to Israel. Because at least this is the why I say that the anti-Zionism thing perhaps won't work anymore, because there's one place in the world in theory where Jews can be safe or in theory safe. There is a state for Jewish people, and that's Israel. So, yeah, I think uh, we're all in a state of confusion and all good people uh, of faith or no faith should be standing at this moment against this kind of horrific uh, both these horrific actions but also the the things that have happened since these these demonstrations
0: you make a you make a point that that in england there isn't really free speech in england the, a woman not long ago was arrested for praying quietly uh, in her head not quietly silently. i'm sorry silently, silently. more silently. than quietly silently in her head yeah she was standing near an abortion center. I don't even like to call them clinics because that sounds too medical. No. She was she was standing near an abortion center and was arrested and booked for, in her head, thinking peaceful thoughts about babies that were being killed inside and the this, center.
1: This um, very day, I saw uh, a Christian preacher has been arrested and charged in England for holding a, a psalm, a verse of the psalms outside also an abortion center. He's been arrested. And other people have made the point that not just that, but, for example, now we can be, we can be arrested for misgendering, for calling someone who says they're a woman who's actually a, a biological male. We can be arrested for misgendering. The police will come and knock at your door. Is that true? If you've tweeted. Yeah. If you've tweeted, for example, it, it could be a hate crime. But an actual hate crime, hatred of Jews is not, is not being prosecuted. Uh, it, it, we've come, we've come to a very strange moment, Gracie, in, in our history in Well, there were large, very
0: large demonstrations uh, in, in England, in London. I saw some videos, but in fact, in all the Western capitals, here in the United States, uh, and maybe it's happening in your universities, but here in the United States, we've been very disgusted with the, that same celebratory support. That we've seen in these in these in the Western capitals, we've seen it on college campuses. And I saw a video this morning. I saw a shocking video of which university was it? Can't remember right now. Some some random university in the United States. Probably
1: uh, Ivy League, I should say. It wasn't
0: actually. Which made me sad because oh. I always say, well, at least it's only that bad in the Ivy Leagues, but <laughs> which shouldn't make me. That's actually very bad because the the Ivy Leagues are making the future leaders of our countries. Right. Those are the those are the young people that are going to rise to pr- positions of prominence, whether in politics or economics or, or academics. But anyway, this in this little video, there were these two girls going around young college students tearing down posters that showed the pictures of children that had been that are kidnapped right now that are being held as hostages in in Gaza. I don't know why that shocked me so much, because I would think nobody would be, who is for the holding of hostage children?
1: There are two things going on, I think, Gracie. Yes, it's the same thing is happening here. Academia, as we know, has been dominated, has been captured by the by the left for the last forty plus years and, and so it's not just the young kids today who are being produced the future leaders. The actual leaders of today have are products of this world. The leaders in academia and in the media are all products of this narrative that's been going on for so long. But yeah, who can who can glorify? Well, I saw an interview, strangely enough, with with a Hamas leader, who <laughs> bizarrely, if, to be fair to the interviewer, he was sort of, as we say in England and Ireland, gobsmacked. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't deal with this guy. The Hamas leader was basically claiming no civilians were killed. Now you have to understand their mindset. Of course, they don't believe that any single Israeli, any Jew in Israel, is a, is a civilian. Obviously, including a child, including a baby. So every single person they killed in their view, is both what they call a settler, an occupier, but also, in some sense, a combatant. How a nine-month-old baby can be a combatant, or a baby, apparently, that they even cut open one woman, cut open her womb (gasps) and killed. So yes, yeah, I'm trying, it's, it's I'm so trying not to hear
0: some of those details, Father, because they're keeping me know, awake at protest. night. It's It's
1: But but we have to, in a way, we have to see uh-huh. this is what they're capable of. And so we've got to, we have to understand that mindset. But we get back to why is this world of academia and and the left glorifying it? What the, is there that, aren't any Father, what answers. is that
0: alliance? Put a finger on it for us. What's the alliance, the left and, anti, and, and, and anti-Semitism. And and it's very interesting to me because I have a lot of family members that are Jewish from my husband's side who are also very liberal and, and they vote Democrat. And for many years, it's been apparent to me that the left is anti-Semitic in a way that the right isn't, I believe. I mean, I've, I've been moving in conservative circles in the United States forever and I've never met a, an anti-Semite. I'm sure they exist. You can look under rocks and you can find them. But the left is very, very clearly, to my mind, has been pretty clearly anti-Semitic, but now they've revealed themselves. What is this unholy alliance between the left, the BLM movement, the Antifa, with anti-Semitism? What do you think? Where is that intersection happening?
1: It it has been around for a very long time, and I think the left now in particular, it's about the the, the narrative of being a victim, the narrative of, of being oppressors, all this kind of nonsense. But it is, it's revealed an ugliness. I think it's, for for a liberal Jews, I think it's also, this is a moment of of tremendous soul searching and shock and horror because perhaps they have been, Running along with the narrative and now they're beginning they're realizing as well. This isn't just about uh, Israel They're really people hate Jews Mm -hmm. They they hate you for being Jewish and they don't care if you're liberal look at some of the people who were killed in Gaza again Watching uh, some of the stories some of these people were very active in trying to work in with people in Gaza Very active in trying to they were they were actually liberal Jews many of the kibbutz people are liberal Jews They're all dead um, so I think it's uh, the other thing that we, had, well, we that, have to say, that, Gracie. I'm sorry,
0: that um, that f- music festival that was attacked, that was a peace-seeking right. music festival specifically uh, celebrated right there in front of Gaza, specifically.
1: And and look at the slaughter. Mm-hmm. But also we have to bring in, Gracie, certainly in Europe, but I know in America as well, certainly in some of the demonstrations, but in Europe in a big way, it's not just the marriage of, of, of the left, it's, not, it's a very close marriage now between left and militant Islam. Thousands of the people who are marching are Muslims, radical Muslims. And that has to be acknowledged. It's not about racism or Islamophobia. Islamophobia, for a start, a phobia is an irrational fear. Someone who, who, who is scared of spiders is an arachnophobia. They have an irrational fear of spiders. When you're called Islamophobic, it's whenever you say anything about Islam. Uh, there's nothing irrational about fearing People who are going to chop your head off—that seems to me quite a sensible fear to have. Uh, in London, just the other day, during this demonstration, they chased a, a single person. He wasn't actually Jewish, I don't believe, but he was holding an Israeli flag. They chased him, and among other things, they were shouting at him, "I'm going to cut your head off." The police did arrest some of them. One of them was found with a knife. But this is the point: there's a that we in 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 Europe, we have brought in very very large numbers. Of people from another culture and it has to be said it's Islam now we can live in peace with with many many Muslims and they can live in peace with us but if they want to bring that kind of hatred and also change our culture then then we've got a problem again Um, and it's becoming becoming more and more apparent look at just just uh, I'm not sure when you broadcast this Gracie but uh, in Brussels Belgium just last night Uh, a terrorist Uh who pledged allegiance to ISIS, an immigrant who was denied, funny enough he's still in the country, but was denied asylum, shot several people to death and injured several people, claiming allegiance to ISIS. This is not an isolated incident. This is a regular incident now. And we have to tell the truth, speak the truth in love. But we must tell the truth and not cover this sort of thing up. There is a marriage now between the Radical left or even the moderate left.
0: Moderate. I would say moderate.
1: Yeah. And they are together. And the thing that is uniting them is not opposition to Israel. It is hatred of Jews. Period.
0: I was in a I've been to a couple of prayer services organized by 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 Jews uh, and also to a rally a rally in support of Israel uh, in Miami Beach, which is a very Jewish, uh, has a very strong Jewish community. And I was sitting next to one woman uh, at a prayer vigil who was Jewish. And, and she told me that she's very liberal. She told me I'm, I'm a liberal Jew. And I, a couple years ago, I was demonstrating in all the BLM rallies. She told me because I really felt strongly that the blacks in America, they don't they're not treated properly and they they need they need to you know reform all sorts of things like the police system that is not treating them as they as they ought to or whatever, whatever her grievance was. But anyway, she she now and then she told me and when I saw the, the BLM chapter, I forget out of where, maybe Chicago. Putting out flyers with the paragliders, with a picture of the paragliders uh, who came and, and slaughtered all those poor young people at the at the festival. Um, she says, "I my eyes were opened." So here's another mm. here's another intersection of of causes, right? Um, Black mm. Lives Matter, and and now this radical anti-Semitic strain of of radical Islam. I, another weird intersection is the LGBTQ people. And they, I've, I've seen in these, in these rallies, um, people holding signs, queers for Palestine. Mm. And I'm thinking, you know, that's an, that's, an unre- that's an unrequited love. No one loves you in Palestine. <laughs> Nobody loves well, you in Gaza. Gracie,
1: I'm one of the few people who've actually seen the building, one of the few Westerners who's actually seen the building in Mosul in Iraq where ISIS threw homosexuals off the roof to their deaths. It's been, it's been um, blown up now. But, uh, yeah, let's get a little bit real. I'm afraid uh, queers for Palestine would get an awful shock if they were in Gaza. Um, and they get a shock in most Muslim countries where it's illegal uh, and they would be certainly prosecuted, certainly arrested, and even worse. So it's bizarre. Sometimes uh, I think under communist times there was that phrase – the, the communists in the east called liberals, lefties, etc. In the west, useful idiots—people yes. who sort of went along with them. Well, it looks now. One other revelation is for us that there are a rather large number of useful idiots in the west, and and those who are pursuing these terrorist activities must be very, very happy that there are so many useful idiots. It's—I'm afraid I do. I think they're—they're—they're they're, they're not very. Let's let's be try and be charitable. They're not very well versed in what life is like uh, under these conditions and living in these countries shall we say feel, that's the most I guess I guess they're
0: doing they feel that they have a common enemy which is western capitalist society and they can make common cause with with this with these other people who not only have no love for them but they have extreme hate for them
1: that may be well but, but Israel, of course, is an extremely open, secular society. It is. It's very uh, secular. Extremely open. We would perhaps, from our Catholic point of view, uh, say too liberal, um, certainly in celebration of, of LGBT stuff. Uh, and abortion. Uh, so the-
0: they have s- extremely liberal abortion laws. Ex-
1: liberal abortion laws they have pride marches etc cetera, etc cetera. so no these these unfortunately are useful idiots and and at some point they'll they'll discover like your I'm not saying your jewish lady that you sat next to was a was a useful idiot but the fact that she's she said have as it were, woken up. Well, she felt, the, she felt
0: that she had been a useful idiot yeah. by participating in well, leftist causes.
1: And the good thing is that perhaps if we can be, even though it's hard to be positive about any of this, perhaps a positive side of this is that waking up, that people can't have their blinkers on, as it were, much longer or or who were willing to, who were willing maybe to close their eyes to things, even though perhaps in their hearts they knew. Now they can't. So that's a positive out, out of something terrible. And I think for us Christians, I'm going to be participating in a conference uh, next week in in Steubenville, Ohio, at the Franciscan University, and it's on Christians and Jews, or, uh, uh, um, a celebration, as it were, of our our relationship between Christians and Jews. This is very, very timely, and this is important for us as Christians now. As I said at the beginning, to be very much standing shoulder to shoulder with our our jewish brethren and not saying that everything is perfect in israel that's not the story and not saying that we don't care about the civilians in gaza the innocent it's a terrible terrible situation however you've got to go back to the start this what this attack on on israel was demonic and the things that they did was demonic and also anti-semitism the hatred of a person because of their race is demonic
0: it it really does seem that we are hearkening back to the holocaust i mean it was that kind of uh, that kind of horrific lack of sensitivity to somebody's humanity i mean how you know to treat someone like a cockroach that you that you step on that's uh well that's what people call them
1: that's their call to. When you look at some of the media that comes out of the Middle East, the extreme Islamic media, and even again, not so extreme, those are the kind of words they use. They call Jews cockroaches. They oh, call them insects. They call them vermin. So yeah, it's it's been a revelation and a very sad one, and which is why we must pray hard, we must witness and And speak out uh, and not 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 be silent. We remember we bring up the Holocaust. We remember how unfortunately people were so silent. And a lot of people today think, well, I would have spoken out. I would have spoken out when I saw my Jewish neighbors being taken away or whatever. And of course, the truth is most of us wouldn't. Um, now this is an occasion for us to speak out and stand up and say this is unacceptable.
0: In that uh, that amazing Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem called Yad Vashem that I've been to a couple mm-hmm. times, and I, I know you have been there too, Father. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first things, I think, the first thing that you see is um, clippings from newspaper articles, uh, explain uh, showing how the, the showing the rise of, in anti-Semitism that had gone on for some years before it. It it broke its bounds, right? And Kristallnacht, or whatever, whatever, Mm. whichever date that we that we use to mark the the beginning of of the Holocaust itself. Um, But there were years of of preparation, um, of of Mm. making Jews uh, the the scapegoat of 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 that country of of Germany, Um, and people closed their eyes to that. And and didn't fight back and didn't and didn't and said, oh well, they won't go too far. They won't go too far. They're just blowing off steam, or you know, the economy's bad. People need something to talk about that's not um, the piles of worthless money in their basement. (laughs) Uh, Mm. But maybe we're closing our eyes now, and maybe this was this was a very, I mean, a a horrific uh, opportunity to to open our eyes and say, you know. Are we allowing ourselves in the West, as we've seen in the universities, are we allowing ourselves to be trained into the kind of anti-Semitic society that could perpetrate another Holocaust?
1: Absolutely. I agree 100%, Gracie, which is why us talking and, and other uh, events and other discussions and public demonstrations for against this kind of horror is so important.
0: Do you think people, There's there's been discussion on the right about some students for instance at harvard that signed uh, immediately signed on to this uh, a celebration of of the the act of the terrorists the acts of the terrorists uh publicly they've been they've been exposed they're they're being told that they shouldn't apply for jobs that uh you know pe- corporations don't want them i mean these these are crazy kids who have imbibed poison that's cool Um, do you think and on the right they're saying no you know some people are saying no these are just young people they should be allowed to make mistakes what do you think do you think that they should be held to their held to their to their word
1: well I think we've all got I, certainly they have to take responsibility for what they've done now, but the problem will be we all know the things we said 20 years ago or 30 or 40 years ago, this is part of this cancel culture as well, that people said said and did stupid things when they were 20 or mm-hmm. and, and then when they're 30 or 40. They, they're bringing this. It's mainly, again, on the left. They're bringing this stuff up. It's for the, the left is getting a, a, a taste, taste of its own yeah. medicine in a way, but but mm-hmm. no, you can't. You can't really hold. You can certainly make them account for it now. They have to take responsibility for their actions now. But if we say for the rest of their lives they're tarred for something they said now, then I think we'd all probably fail.
0: Well, but they should go through a period of rehabilitation probably. <laughs> They they need to take account
1: for what they they, if they if they're so-called grown-ups in a university. They have to take. They're not babies, and they're not. uh, They're not. uh, They're not without adult brains so they have to take account for, for for what they've done but not for their entire life
0: I agree father we did we all did stupid things when we were young but this is this is pretty egregious to to celebrate these these atrocious acts well father thank you for joining us on conversations with consequences you're an, an important part of our show and, and and you're always you're always there for us uh, especially with your Thanks, organization, please. tell us about Nazarene.org.
1: Nazarene.org, with it, with an S. <laughs> Always spell it with an S. Uh, helping, aiding, and advocating for persecuted Christians, especially in the Middle East. Uh, helping them stay in their homes and and have jobs and have a future. So thank you for all your support.
0: Thank you, Father. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks. Amanda, you are the U.S. spokesperson for a new film out of Spain called Libres in Spain and here in the United States. In its translation, we will be calling it Free, uh, which is the translation of Libre. It's a movie. I've seen the trailer. The trailer is stunning, and I'm excited to see the movie. But the movie is about the cloistered life, which is a very interesting topic and a topic which is a very compelling compelling one for modern audiences who, who know that people... Uh, religious men and women live the cloistered life still to this day, but it's it's something that appears to us medieval, and and it's very hard for us to understand. So, what does that? Why this film about the cloistered life today in 2023?
2: <laughs> so free is a film that takes you behind the veil in in a way so to speak free brings you the viewer right into these monasteries and what we kind of witness inside of these monasteries is unprecedented and i say unprecedented because it is exceptionally rare for a camera to be able to enter into these sacred spaces firstly we um you know, this film free is. I want to say maybe the second or third film that has achieved this, but most certainly the film with the farthest scope and coverage and um, you know engagement with these communities. So to answer your question, I would say we're entering into this sacred space because as an audience, we're curious. We kind of want to know what makes a person tick who has decided to give up a. Common life, right? Why would a person decide to give up a common life to enter into silent contemplation, Um, a little bit of isolation in a sense, you know, still in the context of community, but still there's very much an entering into quiet contemplative life. It's very different. Why would a person do that? And what does it mean to them? And I think we all kind of have this little humming voice in the back of our minds that says, well, maybe a person's running from something, or maybe they just can't deal with the world, or maybe they, they're they just seeking a safe place. It's true that a monastery can be a safe haven in a way for a person mentally and spiritually, but what we discover in these stories of these men and women who have entered this cloistered monastic life is that they're actually not running from everything any- anything, they're entering into a deep, deep sense of freedom. And as the film unfolds this for us, we start to see it as a mirror to our own lives, right? Like, when I first saw the film and I first screened it, I thought at the end, wow, this isn't about just these people who have entered religious life in these monasteries, but this is like a mirror making me consider my own life and how I make choices and how I create space for quiet contemplation in my own life. The
0: monastic life, Amanda, that is deeply countercultural today, and, and I think that the title of the film, Libre, Libres, or Free, uh, shines a, a very strong spotlight on that. On how, col- how how countercultural it is to think that a person who voluntarily, in a sense, commits themselves to to live in this in this institution in perpetuity right, can consider themselves completely free. What is that concept of freedom that that you encounter in the monastic life?
2: Well, to truly experience it, I think, you know, you have to see the film, (laughs) first and foremost, or you have to have some sort of engagement. You know, there are certain religious orders, maybe not all of these monastic orders, but there are religious orders that offer retreats and, you know, special events where you can go and stay, perhaps, and have like your own mini retreat. What I love about this film is that people have described it as a mini retreat in an hour and a half, and a pilgrimage to Spain. Spain has been known as the Cradle of Contemplation for years. I mean, for centuries, it's held one third of the world's monasteries. So it is such a special place. And what the team from Free had been granted access for was to enter not just one, but 12 of these beautiful Spanish monasteries. And they're all set against like the rugged landscape of Spain. It's just majestic rolling hills, deep lush forests, mountains. I mean, it's such a cinematic experience. And I think that the cinema really kind of speaks to the grandeur of what transforms inside of a person's heart when they've had a vocation to the religious life not just the religious life, but like the monastic religious life, because there's this stark contrast of the monastery that can feel very plain at times. It can feel very um, basic. And in a way, it's juxtaposed with these sweeping landscapes that distill the The grandeur of creation into a person's perception. So you have these people who have entered religious life, monks and nuns who are living in these very plain, basic cells and monasteries. And then you step outside into the courtyard and you're looking up with them through their eyes and you're seeing this freedom of them having been through their personal vocation journey and many still on the way but that journey being reflected in the beautiful landscape that their creators made for them so when you ask about what is freedom I say well you'll have to see the film because I think the director Santos Blanco like really shows us rather than telling us and the subjects of the film they do have so many wonderful things to say I mean they're monastic masters it's like taking a master class right this
0: is, um, very, this is very compelling because in modern society now in, in western culture people are Extraordinarily free in one sense, and then also extraordinarily bound. Mm. I think it will be very compelling for people to explore that idea of freedom—a freedom that doesn't depend on being able to get up in the morning and dash across the globe. Um, A freedom, a freedom that's more of the heart and of the mind and of the soul (coughs) than than the freedom that we, we condense it, right? We say, oh, we, we minimize the idea of freedom. So this is a higher, a, a much higher concept of of how free a human being can really be.
2: Yeah, and it's an interior disposition that manifests itself outside of a person as well, the way that they live their life, right? If you have an interior disposition that is geared towards abandonment to the divine will, like, it transforms you. It's something that, you know, as a layperson, I can only begin to scratch the surface but I yearn for it, right? We we try. We try as people who are in the world to not be of the world and be solely focused on the instant gratification, for example, is one thing. I mean, we live in a very tech-driven era. I would say, like we've the advancement of tech in this era has like skyrocketed. But it's funny because I was speaking with a friend the other day about it. You know, we were talking about all of these advancements in artificial intelligence and, and the tech world in Silicon Valley and you know what that's going to look like ahead and how that sh- you know is shifting um the landscape for under. Understanding what it means to be even human, right? It, it's shifting our culture's perception of that. And I keep returning and thinking about this film because there is nothing more human, there is nothing more earthy than. The salvation story, right? If we look at back into like the Judeo-Christian story of our relationship with God, it's a relationship that's so earthy, right? Like even from the very beginnings of Genesis. And what I love is also, you know, continuing that thought. There's a wonderful book from Ignatius Press called "Report from Calabria: A Season with the Carthusian Monks." Now, this is the monks in Saint Bruno's Monastery in Calabria, Italy, or in the south of Italy. Um, There was a priest who went. to go stay with them for a while was granted permission to stay with them. And he writes from these letter the letters that he's sending to family and friends, they've been collected in this volume. He writes on the life of these monks. One of the things he talks about is the word cell and how it kind of conjures this thought of like a prison, right? We have the, these connotations with words that we think of. But in reality, the, the meaning of cell, sala, in, Latin, in Latin is the storage chamber or like like a wine cellar. So if you think of the cell as a place to mature in your faith, again, I feel like our faith is so, there's like this earthiness to it that is so grounding. Continuing with this thought, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Tish Oxenreiter. Um, she's a recent, somewhat recent Catholic convert and author um, who writes on so many of her journeys and her her spiritual journey. But it's so funny because I was reading something she wrote the other day it was an exhortation for us to just get outside and touch grass. That mm-hmm. meaning, mm-hmm. meaning to like get back in touch with yourself, back in touch with God, because we're not just disembodied m- minds, right? Like we are people who are fully human—body, mind, soul, and spirit—and I, I love that. So I think that that is part of the key to this contradictory idea of monastic life. There's a very earthiness about it. There's a very human connection, and it certainly draws me because I love being in nature, and I'm always. Trying to get outside with my family as much as possible. I feel that there's so much of God's love made manifest in nature, and it is like one of the most primal ways that we can commune with God outside of the sacraments. It's it's just God's beauty through the order of nature.
0: Amanda, one, really one thing that one thing that people find difficult to understand is the usefulness of people who are in or who are cloistered. What what use are they are they bringing to the world? I I try to explain, and and maybe you can explain it better that. They are doing uh, a tremendous service to humanity by de- by devoting their lives to prayer and contemplation. Is that something that's expressed in the film of this this great service that they're doing to humanity?
2: I think it is, and I think it's it's done in a way and and conveyed in a way that's not pretentious in any way. It's difficult when engaging with somebody who may not share the same background or faith faith tradition to justify. The existence of a monastery. But I would say a few things on that. In the film, we see one of these sisters speaking about the monastery as being truly the lungs. And I find this a beautiful correlation because... Bosco Films, the production house, and the distributor, their whole mission is to be like the life-giving trees in the city, right? The forest or the park in the middle of the city that's breathing new life and new, not just content, but like valuable content that motivates and uplifts people spiritually and emotionally and artistically. I mean, that's their whole goal. And I was so struck when I heard a sister say the exact same thing about the purpose of monasteries, because she was speaking on how the monastery may be seen as something that is crumbling from the outside, a place with some crazy women inside. What do they do? What are they all about? What are they doing in there? What purpose do they serve? But they are like the lungs. They are sustaining the city in a way, or their community, or the you know the greater world and, and humanity in a way, because they are communing with God in prayer. They are offering their lives in prayer. It's not something easy to understand if you're, you know, not already kind of on board and, and engaged in a Christian faith. But I think anybody can understand that to be human is not always about being utilitarian, right? We can very easily get caught up. I have to do my work. I have to get this done. I've got a list of a million things to do. If I don't take care of this, like the world's going to fall mm-hmm. down. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, I mean, <laughs> I think it was the Carthusians who gave us the motto, like brother, remember your death, momento that there is a beauty and a and an unique Irrepeatableness in each human being, but we also do have a temporal existence on this earth. So it's not as if everything depends on us. (laughs) A lot of that we have to be open to receiving in grace from God, right? To move His will forward in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So I see that as being a very beautiful, true element of the monastic life and the cloistered life that there are people around the world praying for us they may not know you they may not even know that you exist they're praying for you and they're offering their lives as a prayer they're offering their work as a prayer be it fishing or beekeeping or brewing like the Carthusians do they're they're
0: engaged in that creative uh, force with which God is continuously creating the world and also saving everyone in humanity or making that attempt right so they're they're participating in that plan of salvation through their their prayer in in the monasteries one thing You said earlier interests me very much the the fact that as Catholics or as Christians we are meant to be contemplative souls in the midst of our lives and that's something Mm -hmm. very hard to achieve and it makes me it makes me hopeful that a movie like Libres will spark um, more enthusiasm and more understanding of what that could look like for for each Christian for each Catholic.
2: Yes, definitely. I think no matter what state in life you're in, whether you're tuning in and you're somebody who's already taken on religious life or con- contemplating this possibility, or if perhaps you're somebody like me who's married with a family or you're single, like it it doesn't matter what state of life you're in. I think what matters is that you can take away something from this movie free. Libres. You can take away this message of peace and transformative relationship with God, with his creation and with the community of the church. Often not just in the big sense of the the, the church as the people, the, the body of Christ, right? But like also within these small communities, like who is in your community that you could pray with, or maybe there's somebody in a parish nearby that needs help and you can Ask them, you know, like, how can I help you? I think when we talk about sisters and brothers, and it's a very lived reality, even though many of these monks have scheduled times that they, you know, they're spending in prayer on their own, they come together in the, is it the word is scriptorium scriptorum or scriptorium? I cannot remember. <laughs> my Latin is seriously lacking. I speak Italian and I always want to Italianize my Latin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they come together in these spaces. And of course, during mass, and they have like certain times of the day when we go out on, on walks together. And it's beautiful because we're not meant to be living on our own. No man is an island, right? But we can create space for meaningful conversations when they do happen, for meaningful actions when they do happen. And what I think this film does is it makes you think about how you're spending your day. We have 24 hours in a day, a certain number, number of those hours are allocated to our waking, our waking life. And of those, are we spending them just focusing on trying to hammer out um, whatever work we're doing? Or are we pausing and constantly keeping ourselves in check? I love the rhythm and flow that the monks have. I love that they have a, a rhythm to their day where they pause and they pray and then they go back and go back to their work or they pause and they pray and then they come and gather together to work on whatever projects they have. You know, as I was saying, there's so many amazing things they do. There's, there's soap making, candle making and all these artisan things as well as like beekeeping and, and harvesting honey and fishing and beautiful activities that are just like, they connect you to the earth. So the more that we can cultivate, I think that sense of a rhythm of life Nice then the better we will be because we will be taking the time to actually check in with God and check in with one another.
0: Amanda, I'm very much looking forward to seeing this movie. And we're out of time, but tell us before we go where we can watch the movie. I believe it's November 2nd is the day it will be playing in the United States.
2: (sighs) Yes, the movie is going to be in almost 700 theaters across the US. So all 50 states and it's going to be released through Fathom Events. You can um, search for tickets at fathomevents.com or you can um, go and buy your tickets through the website freethemovie.org so make sure you put .org on the end of that freethemovie.org
0: Sorry, November 2nd only freethemovie.org and we will be watching what I know from the trailer is a gorgeous movie that will spark so much conversion everywhere which is always our hope with these beautiful spiritual movies So thank you, Amanda Thank you so much My pleasure And now, Father Roger Landry (laughs) offers us, as is customary a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel
3: This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a privilege for me to be with you. As we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us this Sunday, something that has to do with how we as disciples of Jesus order our whole life as citizens, not only of our country, but of the heavenly Jerusalem. In the Sunday's Gospel, two groups that were arch enemies conspired in an unholy alliance to try to trap Jesus. Both Herodians and the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus out of the way because both felt threatened by him like a 60 Minutes journalist trying to ask a gotcha question to expose and embarrass an interviewee. They decided to ask Jesus a question about which they themselves were constantly in disagreement, whether it was lawful to pay taxes to or support in any way the Roman Empire. The Herodians were laxist sycophants, and regardless of how they felt personally about a foreign power's ruling over them, decided that if you couldn't beat the Romans, you should join them. They cooperated with the Romans in almost everything, including taxes. The Pharisees, like most of the Jews, deeply resented being, dominated by a foreign power and found utterly repulsive the thought of giving a tribute to a foreign ruler who fancied himself a god. Both groups thought that their long-standing disagreement was a perfect catch-22 by which to nail the carpenter from Nazareth. So they approached Jesus and manifested their mendacity and hypocrisy by a barrage of empty flattery. Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man. Teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Show deference to no one and don't play favorites. Then came the question, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? It was the perfect query, they thought, because no matter how Jesus answered, they had him. If he failed to respond, he would lose authority by ducking one of the most controversial and radioactive political questions of the day. If he said yes, they could turn the crowds against him as a sympathizer of the tyrannical and hated Romans and of the emperor whom they hated being forced to recognize it all. If he said no, then they could Turn him over to Pontius Pilate as a renegade revolutionary inciting lawlessness among the people. But Jesus refused to be trapped and showed yet again here how he always brings good out of evil. In answer to their hypocrisy, Jesus pointed the path to true human integrity. In response to their deceitfulness, Jesus gave a truth to live by, one that's as relevant today as ever. After he had asked to see the coin used for the tax purposes, they brought him one. This showed for us that all of them used the money when it served their purposes. It was also a manifestation of the way the chief priests were funded through the Roman tax system, which levied a two denarius tax on every Jewish expat throughout the Roman Empire, delivering a massive annual sum for the upkeep of the temple. On its face, the question was hypocritical. Taking the coin into his hand, though, Jesus asked, whose image is this and whose inscription? When they responded, Caesar's, he gave them and us the principle that extends far beyond the days of Rome. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. Most of Jesus' original listeners thought that you couldn't serve two leaders, God and Caesar. Either you gave to God, they thought, or you gave to Caesar. Jesus said it was not necessarily either or, but could and should be a both hand. To pay taxes or to participate in the social order was not de facto an act of idolatry. We have responsibilities in the social order, what we might call the horizontal plane. We also have responsibilities toward God, the vertical plane. The two should complement each other. One of our responsibilities toward God is to love our neighbor, One of the greatest services to our neighbor is the service of truth that flows from faith in God. This Sunday, we won't come to entrap Jesus in his speech, but to learn from him the truth that will set us free. And As we ask him the same question about the allegiance we owe to the social order, to our country, our society, our cities, our communities, he turns to us and asks us something doesn't request to see a dollar bill, but rather says, look in the mirror. Whose image do you see? He wants us to recognize that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And then he wants to say, then give to God the things that are God's. All that we are, all that we have, all our time, talents, money, resources, health, come from God. They're part of our being in his image. And we're called by him in justice, wisdom, and love to give back to God the things that are His. Jesus in the Gospel helps us to remember to whom we really belong. The greatest confusion of our age is not political or gender-based or racial. It's when we forget our identity, when we fail to remember that we're chips off the old divine block, that we've been formed like God to become more and more like Him through participation in His life. I'd like to make a couple applications of this wondrous mystery from today's Gospel. The first regards our level of giving to God. The context of taxes in today's gospel is helpful. Most of us hate paying taxes and do everything we can to pay less. We save receipts, we take deductions, we vote for politicians who promise lower tax rates, we move savings to offshore havens, and those who run corporations often lobby legislators for loopholes. Sometimes we try similar strategies with God, and we don't want to tax the time, money, or talents He's given us. Because, as we saw two weeks ago in the parable of the corrupt tenants in the vineyard, we prefer to be owners rather than stewards. Many of us do whatever we can to get out of our spiritual commitments. We ask how far we can go without sinning. We do the minimum in terms of our prayers. We donate something, but often without a genuine sacrifice. We can even shop for churches or masses that are less demanding on our time. Today, Jesus is calling us to a different way of life. He says to us, give to God the things that are God's and give to the civil order what the civil order is owed. The gift that Jesus is asking of us is ourselves. And our supreme task in life to make our lives fit to offer to Him and with Him for others. So, we're all in a 100% tax bracket called to give everything with love. The second application is what ought to happen when conflicts arise between the two orders of responsibility Jesus describes, to God, and to the social order. The concern of the scribes and Pharisees hasn't disappeared. The best principle, I think, comes from the example and last words of one of the great saints in the history of civilization, St. Thomas More. When King Henry VIII, whom he had served faithfully as chancellor or second in charge, had required all British subjects to swear an oath, saying, Henry, and not Jesus Christ or Jesus' vicar on earth, the pope, was the supreme head of the church in England, and another swearing under God that Henry's marriage to Catherine of Aragon was null, his supposed marriage to Anne Boleyn was valid, and his rightful heir would be his and Anne's offspring, Thomas More refused. Almost all of the Christians in England took the oaths. Almost every bishop in England, other than St. John Fisher, capitulated. Thomas resigned the chancellorship. His family was reduced to poverty. Those who were trying to kiss up to the king sought ways to harm him. Eventually, the king's loyalists trumped up charges against him and get him thrown into the infamous prison of the Tower of London. They tried to harass, molest, and starve Thomas into submission, but he never relented. Finally, they framed him and got him sentenced to death. And as he stood on the platform where he would be beheaded, he was asked whether he had any last words his valedictory right before he had had his head chopped off was i have always been the king's good servant but god's first these words each of us is called to make our own all of us are called to be good servants of our nation community cities but god's servants first and above all should there be a conflict between what we owe to god and what civil leaders claim we owe to them god must win and the greatest service we can give to society and our rulers is to serve God faithfully, because by this we bring to them the truth, which is the only foundation on which society can be firmly grounded and flourish. This service, this duty is becoming more urgent because the supposed conflicts between what we owe to God and what others claim we owe to society are growing. There are two main fronts for these conflicts. On the one hand, there are various politically correct and woke attacks on the Christian faith, mainly because faithful Christians won't go along with the spirit of the age, whether that means allowing the killing of unborn children or the redefinition of marriage, or of what it means to be male and female or of other legal and conceptual assaults. The second is coming from those who want politics to become the defining reality of life and to reduce and concentrate people's religious energy to the next election, a referendum, putting political party or ideology above the truths of faith and morals, whether that means giving a total pass to gross character flaws in candidates or allowing them to denigrate others, refuse them dignity, and feel justified not embracing them as we would embrace Christ. If we recognize that we are made in God's image and likeness, then we must recognize that others are too. And we can't allow those on either the left or the right to dehumanize people, whether that means in the womb, at the border, on the deathbed, or at any other point in human life for political gain. We Christians are called to be salt, light, and leaven for our society, living it up, and this requires courage, sometimes even martyrdom. This weekend, God asks us to look in the mirror anew and see in whose image we are made. Then he calls us to act in accordance with that divine dignity. Like St. Thomas More and John Fisher, may God give us the help and audacity he knows we need always to render to him the things that are his, so that we may be able to say at every moment of our life and at the moment of our death, we have always been good citizens of our great land and who have sought to make it better, but we've always been God's good servants first.